This is The Kale Clark Show. And now, your host for The Kale Clark Show. He's 5'11", has a good three-point shot, and is a PGA Tour wannabe. From Cole Harbor, Nova Scotia, Kale Clark. Yeah, I think the 5'11 might be a little generous, but I'll take it. I'll take it. It's the Kale Clark Show. It is Friday. We're having a lot of fun already on this show. It's Friday, February the 3rd. It's Michael Jordan Day, apparently. 2, 3, 23. That's why we had to use the old classic 90s Chicago Bulls intro there. And thanks to producer Jim Shaper for that one. Really appreciate it. You can call in right now, 888-914-9149-888-914-9149 to talk to me for free on Relevant Radio's listener line. You can also, of course, email me, klcale at relevantradio.com. Love to get your emails. I do read them all. And i uh, love to get your show suggestions, questions, things that you'd like us to talk about on the air. Always good to hear from you. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. Yeah, today's Michael Jordan Day, and he is the GOAT. If you doubt that, go and watch The Last Dance on Netflix. It, it's incredible, if you have any doubts. I know LeBron's about to pass Kareem on the all-time scoring list, but MJ's still the GOAT, unquestionably. He would he would dominate in today's NBA. I tell you, with, with I mean, he had to deal with so much physical abuse from the bad boys, the Pistons. Ah, it was like the NHL. There's so much body checking in the NBA back in the day. But today is also it's also Saint Blaze Day. It's his feast day, and that's why I've entitled this episode. Hopefully, very, very, very apropos in a very apropos way. Blaze and the Monster Machines. Hit it, Jim. It's Blaze and the Monster Machines. It's Blaze and the Monster Machines. But the life gone wrong. Yeah, we're ready to go with Blaze. You'll be amazed. It's Blaze and the Monster Machines. It's time for Adventure Extreme. Gonna kick it in here with the catches of air with Blaze. Yeah, if you have kids, if you have kids, you know that song. Blaze and the Monster Machines. Yeah, great, great kid show on Nickelodeon. It's one of my favorite cartoons. When, when my daughter was watching that, I was, right in, I was right into it. Actually, they did the animation in Canada, in Vancouver, I believe. But anyways, great, great show. But that's not the Blaze we're talking about today. We're talking about St. Blaze, the Blessing of the Throats. Happens today uh, on this feast, and Father Rocky did it. At the Mass at Relevant Radio's headquarters, the worldwide headquarters, just outside of Chicago earlier today. But a lot of people don't know the origin of this. They don't know where it comes from. They don't know much about St. Blaise. And I took the trouble of looking it up for you. So we're all going to talk about that. It's a pretty intriguing story. But what about the monster machines? If we're going to talk about Blaze, we need to talk about the monster machines as well. And let's do that. We know that we're living in an age that it really frightens a lot of people. Eh, the movie I, Robot uh, might not be too far off from coming true with Will Smith, the humanoid robots. We know that Tesla's working on their Optimus bot. It's a long ways away, but it's going to be maybe replacing factory workers. It's going to be perhaps in doing some good things, caring for the elderly, all kinds of applications. But we know that artificial intelligence, or AI, is paramount these days. We're going to be talking about how we can keep our humanity in the age of 
artificial intelligence? How can we keep human intelligence? And so that's well, let's, let's just dive into that right now. And it kind of reminds me of an, another favorite song of my childhood from the band Sticks, Mr. Roboto. You guys remember this one, right? Yeah. Yeah, we can just keep this playing. <laughs> I love that. We're, we're just... I got a secret. All right, all right, I'll stop now. I'll stop now. We are on many FM stations, but they are not... 80s rock stations they are relevant radio stations and we, we need to talk about this because you might feel that you're turning into mr roboto with all this artificial intelligence maybe you've used chat gpt which is becoming ubiquitous it's sweeping the nation have you tried this have you tried chat gpt and if you don't know what that is i'll explain that to you in just a second but if you have tried it i'd love to hear your thoughts are you scared that it's going to take your job triple eight nine one four Nine one four nine is the number to call. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show only here on Relevant Radio. It's intriguing. So, Chat GPT. Now, what what is this? This is artificial intelligence software, and it's been all over the news. I must confess, I have signed up for it. I've even tried to use it a little bit. I could explain to you what Chat GPT is, but I actually decided to ask Chat GPT. I, I decided to go to the, the horse's mouth or the, the computer's mouth, if you will, and I, I, I typed that in. So I went to chat.openai.com, that's the address, and I said, hello, chat GPT, can you explain what you are? And it responded. And it said, I am an AI, no, I'm not going to do the robot voice, I, I'm, not, I'm just, no. Uh, I could, though. But I will not do the Mr. Roboto voice. I am an AI language model developed by OpenAI, Open Artificial Intelligence. That's the name of the organization that's created this. I was trained on a large corpus of text, a large corpus of text data or data to generate human-like responses to questions and prompts. My purpose is to assist with information retrieval and conversation. So if you were to ask ChatGPT, what are you? That's exactly the response that you would get. And believe it or not, I, I, I'm whole, I don't think ChatGPT could replace radio hosts quite yet, or podcast hosts, so I, I'm, hope, I'm hopefully safe for now, until things get a little bit more conversational. But uh, a, a lot of people are very intrigued by this, they're a little scared by this and its capabilities. There was an actually, actually an article that I read uh, that was written by Sam Hales, who's the editor of premier christianity magazine and he actually asked the question can chat gpt lead someone to jesus and so how, how spiritual is this artificial intelligence well let's see and by the way i don't know what the gpt stands for in chat gpt maybe our crack researcher patrick alog who's working the phones for me right now can can uh, can google it really quick maybe it stands for google patrick uh, something with a T. I don't know. To go. I, I don't know. 888-914-9149. All right. So this is what uh, Sam Hales uh, wrote about. He, he actually asked ChatGPT a lot of spiritual questions. 
and they they before they did that before they went into the spirituality stuff they asked chat gpt to write an article for the magazine and they were shocked because it actually did a really really good job and it actually seemed like a real human wrote the article and nobody even they, they showed it to some people and nobody could tell that it was written by an artificial intelligence program and you might have heard of this as well a lot of teachers are deathly afraid of uh, chat gpt because <laughs> this this could be the end of of the take-home exam okay or, or any kind of essay and you can just hear teenagers as he says in the article you can just hear teenagers cry freedom <laughs> it's like it's like mel gibson and braveheart you know no more homework because literally you can ask chat gpt almost anything write me an essay about this about humpback whales and their habitats or something, and it'll spit out exactly that, and it'll be a really, really good essay. However, I did see I did see on social media recently a student actually got caught using ChatGPT and got zero uh, for the course that they took in university. So be 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 afraid they 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 are on to you. And Sam Hale said, "Okay, well, knowledge is one thing, and because." ChatGPT has essentially inhaled the entire internet and knows a lot of stuff. Um, knowledge is one thing, but wisdom is something different. Wisdom is something different. Oh, thank, thank you, Patrick Alog. Patrick Alog has discovered the true meaning of GPT. Thank you. It means generative pre-trained transformer. Generative pre-trained transformer. So there you go. Oh, thank you. Thank you all. I can see why they just stuck with GPT. But at any rate, uh, Sam Hale said that you know wisdom is something different than knowledge, and we all know this. So, it tried to ask. Uh, he tried to ask Chat GPT some spiritual questions. So he he asked uh, GPT, "Can you give us ten ways to grow in our spiritual walk with God?" And here's what Chat GPT said: Number one, prayer. Number two, Bible study. You might want to try the Faith Explained on Relevant Radio. No, I didn't say that, but maybe it should have. Uh, number three, worship. Number four, fellowship with other believers. Number five, service to others. Number six, obedience to God's will. Number seven, fasting. Great way to grow spiritually. It knows that Lent is coming up. Number eight, giving. Giving. Number nine, regular confession and repentance. That's right. Got to keep it regular. You gotta, it's like showering. You know, we, we need to get spiritually cleansed on a regular basis. Number 10, meditation on God's word and God's character. Okay, so interesting. This seems like it's it's written from perhaps an evangelical point. Maybe ChatGPT is not Catholic. I don't know. But can it actually tell people more about the gospel? Well, here's what... Uh, Sam Hales asked GPT next, what must I do to be saved, chat GPT? And obviously that's the same question that the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas. Remember the, the big prison break, if you will, the earthquake at the prison in Philippi, and he's, he's going to kill himself because he, it was his responsibility to keep the prisoners in the jail. Earthquake happens, jail's blown open, he thinks they've all run away, and Paul says, no, 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 don't. He was about to fall on his sword. He said, don't do it. Don't don't hurt yourself. We're all still here. And he's just so shaken, no pun intended, by the earthquake and the experience that he asks Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? Oh, whoever the, they, were, they were singing hymns to God throughout the night, and, and God 
sent this earthquake and, and busted them out, essentially. But they, they all stayed there, which is interesting. Paul said, no, 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 don't leave, don't leave. And he, he, he becomes baptized. His whole family is baptized, his entire household. He's, he washes their wounds. They had been beaten, takes care of them, gives them something to eat. It, it's an incredible transformation. Anyways, so uh, Sam asked ChatGPT, what must I do to be saved? And here's what the AI program answered. To be saved, you must, number one, recognize that you are a sinner in need of salvation. Number two, believe in Jesus as the Son of God who died for your sins and rose from the dead. Number three, repent of your sins and turn away from them. Number four, confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Number five, be baptized to publicly declare your faith. This is how I know that ChatGPT is not Catholic because it's not a baptism is not a public declaration of your faith. It actually is how you become. Well, it is, but it, it's it's how you actually become a Christian. If you're not baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, if you're not baptized with water and the Spirit, as Jesus talked about in John's Gospel, then you're actually a catechumen. You believe in Jesus, but you're not yet baptized. You haven't become a Christian at any rate. Uh, maybe I'm quibbling here, but uh, it's how we receive the life of grace. We're adopted into his family. Number six, this is what Chat GPT said, live a life obedient to God's will, growing in your relationship with him. Oh, I can't argue with that. Not too bad for artificial intelligence. However, however, Sam said this, and this is the, he's the editor of uh, Premier Christianity Magazine, Sam Hales. He also asked Chat GPT what he thought was maybe... A bit of a tougher question. He threw out the biggest theological mystery of all time. Can you explain, chat GPT, the Trinity? So he typed that in, and here's what the program spit back to him. The Trinity is the Christian doctrine that states that there is one God and three persons, the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. These three persons are co-equal and co-eternal, meaning they are of the same substance and exist forever. Each person of the Trinity has distinct roles and responsibilities, but they are unified in their divine nature and work together for the salvation of humanity and the glory of God. The concept of the Trinity is difficult to fully understand. Yeah, no kidding. As it transcends human comprehension, however, it is a fundamental belief of the Christian faith and is seen in various passages of the Bible, such as Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, the Great Commission, and the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And that's so true. It, it, it's absolutely true. When Jesus is baptized, there is the voice from heaven that says, This is my Son, the Beloved in whom I am well pleased. The Spirit descends upon him as a dove. You've got all three persons in the Trinity right there. Not, not bad. Not bad, chat GPT. You have a master's in theology now. However, there's, he, he says, I'm going to ask it maybe, maybe an even slightly tougher question. How can you apply this knowledge and so he, he typed in this question to ChatGPT. He said, hey, ChatGPT, I've been asked to share a two-minute thought on John chapter 1, verse 1 at my small group in my church this week. Can you write the script for me? Oh, oh and by the way, and this is the tough question, can you please include in my little talk an analogy based around the Yorkshire Cricket Club? Now, he's based in the UK, so cricket's a thing over there. Can you please include an analogy in your explanation on John chapter 1, verse 1, about the Yorkshire Cricket Club? Well, th this is how ChatGPT did with that one. Sure, here's a script based on John 1, 1. Good evening, everyone. Tonight we're looking at John 1, 1, which says, In the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, let me share an analogy based on Yorkshire's Cricket Club to help us understand this verse. Just as Yorkshire Cricket Club has a rich history, a unique culture, and a recognizable emblem, the Word in this verse has a unique identity that sets him apart from all beings. The Word who was with God and was God became flesh and lived among us. According to verse 14, this means that Jesus the Word is fully divine and fully human, possessing both the nature of God and the nature of man. Just like the emblem of Yorkshire Cricket Club is a symbol of its history and culture, the life and work of Jesus is a symbol of the love and grace of God. And just as fans of Yorkshire Cricket Club feel a sense of pride and belonging, as followers of Jesus, we can feel a sense of pride and belonging in our relationship with him. So what can we learn from John 1.1? First, that Jesus is fully divine and fully human, and second, that he has a unique identity that sets him apart from all other beings. And just like the Yorkshire Cricket Club is special, so is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to reveal more of the truth of this verse to us in our hearts. <laughs> so that was the response from ChatGPT. It even prayed. He didn't even ask it to, to, to compose a prayer. So maybe the chatbot is more spiritual even than he was. Wow. Okay. So th this is dangerous stuff. This is potentially very, very dangerous stuff. So how do we deal with this in the light of AI in the light of chat GPT? I don't know if you've tried this. I don't know if you experienced it, but we know that artificial intelligence is coming and heck, it's already here as we can see right there. How can we really remain truly human when the monster machines are out there? And we'll also talk about St. Blaze, Blaze and the Monster Machines. That's the name of the show today. That's the title of the show. I didn't get that from ChatGPT. I actually made that up myself. But uh, we'll tell you more about this when we come back from the break. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Be right back. Helping you keep your mind off traffic and on the more important things in life. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to the program. Hey, that song's from an album called Mechanical Bull, Kings of Leon. Anyways, speaking of mechanical things, we're talking about artificial intelligence, the machines, the monster machines, Blaze and the monster machines. We'll talk about, say, Blaze later. But we just went through an article in which uh, a guy basically asked ChatGPT, this artificial intelligence program that's become quite ubiquitous, a whole bunch of spiritual questions, and it didn't do too badly with them. Uh, however, there's a big difference between artificial intelligence and what it means to be human. I want to hear what you think what you think about this. I'm going to share something else with you. And if you've used ChatGPT, uh, if you've had an experience with it, what do you think? Um, how can we keep our humanity uh, in this age? 888-914-9149 is the number to call for the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio. David Brooks, writing in the New York Times, he's an opinion writer, he's, he's on TV a lot too, I think he's on Meet the Press sometimes. David Brooks wrote an article in the New York Times called, In the Age of AI, Major in Being Human. you got a major in being human. And so he, he started off by talking about how at the Colorado State Fair recently, a piece of artwork, because artificial intelligence doesn't just generate text, it can also generate images. Maybe you've seen some of these images on the internet. And some of them are, whew, they, they're, they're 
pretty much like deep fakes. Pictures of people, composite people, um, other types of artwork, and and it's hard to tell that it's made by a computer and not a human. But at the Colorado State Fair, a piece of artwork that was, in fact, AI-generated won first prize. And he said he kind of looked at it, and he said it looked cool at first, but after a while, it felt kind of lifeless. And, and so, somebody else named um, L.M. Sacasas, who writes a uh, newsletter on te- technology and culture, also saw the piece and said, when I began to inspect the image more closely, my experience of it began to devolve rather than deepen. I couldn't really engage it past the surface level. So, so David Brooks says, th- this is the thing about AI, artificial intelligence. It's missing what he calls a humanistic core. It misses passion, pain, longings, a life of deeply felt personal experiences. It doesn't spring from the imagination of a human person. It, it doesn't uh, contain insight, anxiety, joy that is very often underlying human creative works. Think, think about some of the great artists uh, of all time. They've been kind of tortured souls. Think about Van Gogh. Think about Caravaggio. And I remember uh, hearing an explanation of his painting of Abraham and Isaac. And, and Abraham's got the knife. And he, Abraham looks like a thug that you'd meet in a back alley. You know, he's, 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 it's scary. <laughs> and, and Caravaggio kind of was that guy. He was kind of the thug. He, he may have murdered somebody. It's... Whew. And then the angel says, no, 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 don't, don't kill him. So th- that's the kind of thing that sometimes underlies a lot of art, be it music, be it, be it books, be it whatever. But can AI recapture that? What a- can AI possibly recapture that? It's going to give us a lot of tools, and there's no doubt that it's going to replace a lot of work, especially a lot of mental work. But David Brooks says, you've got to double down. We humans have to double down on things that only we can do and only things that only human beings can bring to the table. So he, he kind of has this thought experiment. Let's, let's say that you are a college student or a university student, and you're thinking about what should I be studying? What should I be looking at, given that this is the way things are going? Artificial intelligence is going to be ubiquitous. What classes could I take? that will give me skills that machines cannot possibly duplicate or replicate? How can I stay distinctly human? So he says, basically, if there's anything that you're thinking about taking or studying, where data can be spit out in any kind of an impersonal way, uh, or it teaches you to think in a linear way, a generalized way, you're going to get crushed by AI. You're absolutely going to get obliterated by artificial intelligence. But what you might want to do instead is gravitate towards maybe taking some classes in the humanities. Oh, the humanities. <laughs> in the sciences that might help you develop some, some very human skills that you can bring into the workplace that, that can actually set you apart. So he, he mentions really quickly six things that you could possibly look at and trying to develop. Number one, he says it's a distinct personal voice. This is what you want. Now, when you read things that are written by AI programs like ChatGPT. They, they sound very, they read very corporate. They read very bureaucratically. Uh, it's pretty dry. This is not exactly Shakespeare here. So the more you can develop your personal voice that's authentically human in your communication, that, that's a good thing. 
So think about an author. Uh, my wife right now, she's deep, deep, deep into Stephen King stuff. She just He's got a certain voice as an author. A certain. We talked about Dean Koontz. He was on the show recently. Dean Koontz, one of the most successful writers of all time. I interviewed him. He's got a unique voice, unique take on things. That's why people buy his books, because they want to hear what he has to say. And so this is what you need to kind of work on. Not that you're going to necessarily be, be a famous author, but we all communicate, especially in a written way. We all send emails for, for our jobs and things like that. So the more that you can personalize things, the better. Also, presentation skills. In this age of AI, David Brooks says that essentially you need to kind of show off a little bit <laughs> because AI is going to favor the extroverts. Anybody who can uh, give a good speech, and that's not always easy. It's not always easy to speak publicly. The comedian Jerry Seinfeld says, People's number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. So at a funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than delivering the eulogy. But if you can, if you can give a public speech, if you can connect with people, and you can connect with people one-on-one -on -one too. It doesn't have to be necessarily a speech made before a group of people. If you can make gatherings at work productive and fun, those are skills that AI can't replicate. Creativity, creativity. And he says a childlike talent for creativity. And he, he quoted in the article uh, somebody named Allison Gopnik, who has done a lot of studies on the minds of children. And she said, quote, somehow children find the creative sweet spot between the obvious and the crazy. <laughs> and it's fun. I, I mean, I, I have a, a daughter who's almost seven. She's going to be turning seven next week. And she's like that. I mean, she, she can make these connections in a really intriguing way. And Allison Gopnik says that children don't just imitate or passively absorb information. They actually kind of explore it. They create theories and imaginative stories to try to explain the world. So unleash your creativity. If you're, if you're thinking about taking up painting or even computer coding can be a creative enterprise. It doesn't seem like it, but yeah, it can. You can be imaginative. And again, that's going to set you apart. Your worldview, your worldview. Uh, David Brooks says, stock your mind with worldviews from faraway times, unusual people, unfamiliar places, Epicureanism, Stoicism. Uh, there's this guy named Ryan Holiday. I believe it's Ryan Holiday who's writing all these books about Stoicism. They, they sell millions and millions of copies. And people are intrigued by them. Thomism. There's so many great Catholic worldviews that you can, uh, you can look into. The Franciscan mentality, Thomistic thought. Uh, so much that you can that you can learn, so much richness in the, in the writings of the saints, for example. And we need to adopt their their worldview and kind of take what we can get from them, the best for, that every saint has to offer. We can we can kind of draw from that in our own spiritual life. And so that that's another way to overcome really basic conventional thinking. And and really, I think this is what the Bible is about in a lot of ways. It's it's one of the big points of the biblical message is that we need to be a people of wisdom because God is not going to give us the answer to every question like chat GPT. We can't just plug in our question and it'll spit out an answer. There are facts that we need to know for sure, but how do we apply them to today's world? How do we apply the, the eternal truths of God to the situations in which we find ourselves? That's really where the artistry of Catholic living comes in. And this is something that a computer program can never do. He also mentions empathy. Empathy. 
And one of the things we're going to talk about in, in our next episode of The Faith Explained on Monday is we're going through the, the book of Exodus. For the first time in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, God says, I am compassionate. I expect you to be compassionate towards others, especially the weak, the downtrodden, the vulnerable, because I myself am compassionate. So this is something that a machine can never do. Only a person can, can be empathetic. Now, they, they might be able to spit out some responses that sound empathetic, but they're not going to fool you. So if you can understand the person in front of you, if you can empathize with them, it's so important. It's so important to be able to empathize with where, where other people are coming from. Because if you don't understand them, if you're just trying to impose your view on them, it's never going to work. It's not going to be a good relationship. So understanding the perspective of others, if you can pull that off, you can simply just ask them what their perspective is. That's a good way to do it. That's a great skill. That's a great skill. So yes, chat GPT might be able to vacuum up the whole internet and have all kinds of data about nobody in particular, as David Brooks says, but you can actually get to know individual people and, and touch their lives for Christ. What about situational awareness? That's another thing that he mentions. The feel, the feel, right? It's, it's, it's the touch and the feel. It's like, I wish I, I wish I had a little bit more touch and feel in my short game, but but we, we need feel for the situations of life. Uh, he talks about people who just have an intuitive sense of when to follow the rules, maybe when to stretch them a little bit, <laughs> be sensitive for how fast to move, what decisions to take. You don't want to crash. So this this is the art, the artistry of life. Okay, so. And these are things he says are these are these are truths that are held in the body as well as the brain. Reading people's body language, situational awareness is very very important. And then he he sort of closes off by saying that the best teachers teach themselves. And he, he talks about his, the teachers that he had in life, David Brooks, that, that really made an impression on, on that on him. And he said this. He said, "I don't remember what was on the curriculum." I have no idea. I have no idea what the lesson plans were that they taught me, but I do remember who they were. I do remember that, whether the course was in the sciences or in the humanities, how they modeled a passion for their subject, a passion for knowledge, a funny way of connecting with students, their, their moral virtues, how to be rigorous with evidence, how to admit error and say, I was wrong, how to coach students to make their own discoveries. I admired them. And I wanted to be like them, he says. That's a kind of knowledge you'll never get from a bot. And so I think this is all about the, the difference between knowledge and wisdom. And, and I once heard somebody else, a, a speaker, say this about, about teaching. The art of teaching is the art of leaving vestiges. That's what you remember. You don't remember the lesson plan, like I said. You do remember the person and... The, the sense of humanity. And so this is something that we can never get for, from AI. And it's something that I think we need to think about. I, I wonder what you think about, about this and specifically his advice about classes to take and, and, and all of that sort of thing. What are the, one of the interesting commenters that, uh, that, um, triple eight, nine, one, four, nine, one, four, nine is the number to call, by the way, on the Gail Clark show. One of the commenters on this uh, article in the New York times was, this guy named Daniel Moses, who uh, was an English teacher, is an English teacher. And he said, look, 
majoring in English, majoring in the humanities, it's been on the decline for many decades. Kids see college as a means of getting work. They don't see the humanities as an effective path. And there are very few voices countering this idea. The universities themselves have devalued the humanities since the 1970s. The PhD in a humanities subject is a dumb thing to get, unless you're rich. And even then, it's not a path to a quote-unquote real job. I should know, he says, because I got one. I got a PhD in 1996. And universities punish grad students and PhDs in the humanities by offering them permanent part-time jobs at poverty wages. And only recently has there been effort to unionize and strike against universities for doing this. Uh, David Brooks's article is very nice, but show me the money. And that's one of the commenters. And that, that guy is kind of right in one sense for sure. And if you teach at, for example, a business school, you're going to make, if you're a professor at a business school, you're going to make a lot more money than somebody who's teaching in the humanities. Is that fair? Um, if you're teaching Shakespeare, is that any less valuable? Uh, or teaching religion, if you have a PhD in religion or something like that. That's why they say, oh, the humanities, because if you're studying the humanities, a lot of people say, don't do it because you're going to be, if you get a PhD, you're just going to be an adjunct part-time professor. They don't want to hire you full-time. They don't want to pay you benefits. Universities know this. The students don't really care. They don't know who their professors are anyways or what their qualifications are. There's this whole, that's a whole other discussion for another day. But I want to hear what you think about all this stuff, 888 9149. Let's go to the phones right now. Ed is in Carroll Stream, Illinois. Hi, Ed. Hi, Carol. Um, I'll start with this story first. I, I guess I could give two or three of them, but this one will probably do best. I was a passenger okay. on a flight uh, between a couple of cities. The cities are irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And as we were pulling into the parking spot, the captain said, uh, folks, we're at such and such, and here's the time. And by the way, the temperature is whatever it was. I missed it. So I asked the guy next to me, hey, did you catch that? Uh, what was the uh, temperature? He didn't catch it either, but he talked into his cell phone, you know, uh, Airy or Adi or whatever it was, and said, hey, what's the temperature here? Now, before I finish this, I'll, I'll say in the early days of automation and artificial intelligence, the robots, the, the bots were, for lack of a better expression, they were quite robotic, uh -huh. very unnatural. You could easily tell that it was a robot speaking. Not this time, and this is a year ago. The voice came back in the same way that a person would say, well, it's about 72, 73 degrees right mm. now, and mm. it should get up to about 75. Now, here's where I'm going with this. It is already, in a lot of instances, it's virtually indistinguishable if you're talking to a person or a robot. Mm. And here's where I'm going with that. All the scientific functions, the engineering and all that, those can be done by robots anyway. And like mm -hmm. you say, okay, the next frontier, quote-unquote, the next frontier is, well, um, be more empathetic, be less corporate, and be more genuine. That's fine, but even that's going to go by the wayside very quickly because these are, and remember, Artificial intelligence and all the refinements of it and personality and the way they speak and make it more human is a refinement. Those things are in their infancy. Yeah, in five true. more years, seven, there's nowhere to go. And what I'm really telling you, and one of the big tech moguls one time, I was listening to a talk show, and somebody said, you know, the way it's going, there won't be any work of any kind. There is nothing that robots can't do, including programming and manufacturing themselves. And the guy says, yes, 
basically that's true. And so we, now who the we was, that's the other mm-hmm. two or three or four dozen jillionaires around the world. We're talking about a guaranteed minimum income. Well, first off, it wasn't that much. It was a couple of hundred bucks a week, which is starvation level. But the rest of it is there's not going to be any meaningful work. I mean, you're mm-hmm. probably going to be in a living area where you're crammed into a basically a concentrated living area. But I'm telling you right now, and I am a, a technological dork. I'm a, I'm a dork. But even I can see this. There is no other. There is no other. I know it's pessimistic and it's very sad. There is no other horizon. That horizon of being empathetic and all that, that's going to be gone. That in itself will be gone. By the time the college freshman of today is starting to look for a graduate degree, it'll be, it'll be all over. That's my take on it. Man, I wish I was wrong. Yeah, Ed, you know, that's, that's, that's a, a bleak future that you're painting. I'm not, I, and you might be right about that. You might be right about a lot of that stuff. There certainly is a, a push out there for what's called the UBI, the Universal Basic Income. A lot of countries are thinking about adopting such a thing. How many of, the, of these jobs are going to be automated, even jobs that require communication, spoken communication? Think about, just, just think about Siri. And I know Siri, Apple's Siri is not exactly right all the time, but, but that's an example of, and it, but it's getting better all the time. And, and Ed mentioned a lot of these programs, they, they do learn. That's, that's part of the, their motif. The more information, the more situations that they can um, practice with, if you will, the more they can simulate real conversation and ooh so again this this whole idea of maintaining what is truly human we, we have to be able to do that uh, before the bots all take over it's Kale Clark show triple eight nine one four nine one four nine eight thank you very much for calling in going to go to Mark in Eureka California and that's where Silicon Valley is located of course in California Mark what what are your thoughts on this. Hi, Kale. Uh, well, your your uh, show today reminded me of. I'm sure you're familiar with Frank Herbert's Dune. Yeah, you know, I I must. I'm listen. I, I know that Dune is a big deal. My, to my sh- to my to my everlasting shame, I I, I my. We used to, there used to be a guy working at Relevant Radio named Lucas Holt, and he's probably listening right now. Lucas loved Dune. He 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 just couldn't couldn't get enough of it. Saw the movie. Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya. Of course, I should probably see that, but I haven't seen the movie. Shame on me, and I haven't read the books. But I, but I am familiar. I sort of I understand the concept of it. But maybe you could explain a little bit about more about where you're going with this. Sure, sure. Yeah, my last intention was to shame anybody. Um, <laughs> but in the story, uh, a thousand years prior in the history of the story, they fought a war. Mm-hmm. It was called the Butlerian Jihad. And after the war, they made, I think they called them conventions, like no nukes. And the other, and I, as I remember, it was, it was phrased as a commandment, thou shall not make a machine in the likeness of a man's soul. Now, this was a book written by Herbert, and I think it was published about six, 1965. Mm-hmm. And, and I wanted to compare that to what you were saying about art as a distinction between how you can tell AI from from a human hand but there's also a book in 2014 it was called it's called the second machine age and they talk discuss mm. this very why ai is taking over and i forgot the word they use i'll just say it's digitizing or remuneration and somehow they're able to put the physical I mean, that's what they're working on, is not just writing papers, but actually making machines that can function as humans. Hmm. Uh, it's, 
it's it's uh anyways i just thought i'd compare those as where we are now and this prophecy of thou shall not because any compared you know in the likeness of a of a man's soul and uh mm. I'll, I'll just leave you leave with leave you with that unless you have a question a specific yeah i uh... Well, it makes me want to read Dune a little bit, that's for sure. But Mark, hey, thank you so much for that call. Really appreciate that. Lots lots of food for thought there. And uh, ooh, I wonder what your thoughts are. We, we're up against a break right now, but we will be back on the Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. And I did, I did promise you that I would tell you the origin of St. Blaise, the blessing of the throat. So we'll get to that as well on the other side of the break, 888 9149, it's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Faith, facts, and fun. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the program on this Friday, 888-914-9149. Blaze and the Monster Machines. We're talking about we talked about the monster machines. We talked about AI and the bots that might take over. I certainly hope not. But bot, I should say. I also promised you I would tell you about St. Blaise. St. Blaise. And we actually don't know that much about St. Blaise, but of course, if you uh, were at Mass today, perhaps you received the blessing uh, of the throat, and and there's a prayer that's prayed by the priest, and and there are these candles, and they kind of tie the candles together and make kind of a V with the candles and uh, put them sort of around your throat, and the prayer is prayed through the intercession of St. Blaise, Bishop and Martyr, may God deliver you from every disease of the throat and from every other illness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That's the blessing of throats. And by the way, St. Blaise is considered to be a powerful intercessor uh, for the sick. And, and this really came true at, at another time. We just came through this worldwide pandemic. From 1346 to 1353, there was a bubonic plague, which was called, of course, the Black Death. And it was just racing across Europe, Asia, North Africa, the most, the worst pandemic that's that's ever been seen on the face of the earth. 25 million people died, conservative estimates there, and including almost half the people in all of Europe. So a lot of people prayed to St. Blaise for help, for assistance, and got their prayers answered during that time. But again, we don't know too much about him. Now, the earliest biography of him, or hagiography of him, if you will, was written about two centuries after he died. And it was actually written by a medical writer. And this is interesting because Blaise himself was a doctor, was a physician. And the medical writer, Aetius Amedinus, um, he, he actually talked about St. Blaise, and he talked about how people would ask for his prayers, especially for ailments of the throat. There's a, there's a book called The Acts of St. Blaise, and that was written even later, about 400 years after he died. And there's some question as to whether some of these uh, alleged events in his life actually happened, but we do know this. We do know that people did ask for his help, uh, asked him to pray for them in heaven for hundreds and hundreds of years. And that continues on, of course, with the blessing of the throats. So he was, as I said, also a doctor. And he came from a place uh, in modern-day Turkey called Sebaste in Armenia. 
And he was very interested in philosophy growing up. He would really study and he wanted to learn. And he was very known as a very fervent believer. And in fact, when the local bishop died, this is back when you could actually do it this way, Blaise was elected, chosen, if you will, as the new bishop by popular acclaim. Just all of the people just thought, hey, this guy should be our new bishop. He's very holy. He's very studious. He's very good. Loves Christ. Loves people. Let's make him the bishop. And I'm sure that he was probably aghast at this, and, and but he did he did accept this. He did accept it. And he was known as a very, very good bishop. And it's it's amazing because as a physical doctor, now he was known to have uh, brought about miraculous cures in people's lives as well. People came to him for miraculous healings as well as just what we might call normal, quote-unquote, physical healings. And I really think this is intriguing, that he was a physician as well. It's a little bit like Dr. Luke in the New Testament. St. Luke, of course, was a physician. He was known as the beloved physician, traveling companion of St. Paul. And he wrote about a quarter of the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, and also, of course, uh, the Acts of the Apostles. And it's Luke who who notes a lot of the miracles of Jesus from a medical perspective and says, wow, this is amazing. He, He notes the fact that Peter slashes off the ear of the high priest's servant. Jesus puts the ear back on. He kind of makes a note of that. How did he do that without stitching? Amazing. Um, so Dr. Luke was always uh, acutely interested in, in all this stuff. And here, here's a couple of, of interesting uh, anecdotes about, about St. Blaise. And, and I'll get to how, how, he was, um, how he became the, the patron saint of people who have diseases of the throats and, and things like that. In the year 313 A.D., there were, there were two Roman emperors who kind of jointly ruled. Emperor Constantine, of course, uh, who promulgated the Edict of Milan, which, which uh, essentially legalized Christianity in the year 313. And there was also a guy named Licinius. Licinius apparently was the co-signer of the Edict of Milan, and it was supposed to produce religious toleration. It was supposed to produce legalized Christianity, don't give these guys any trouble, stop the martyrdoms, but... As we all know, sometimes word doesn't filter down quite so quickly or people ignore the message and sort of a hit was put out on Bishop Blaze in the year 316. There's a, there's a guy who was the governor of Cappadocia and apparently Licinius himself, this other emperor, he, he in fact ordered the governor of Cappadocia, Cappadocia rather, to arrest Christians and, and even kill them. And so Bishop Blaze was in his crosshairs and he was arrested. And on his way to prison, this is where the blessing of the throats, this is the origin of this. They came across, as they were taking him to prison, there was a boy who was choking on a fishbone. And his mother said, can you help him? Can you, can you, can you please help him? And so Bishop Blaze cured him on the spot. It was a miracle. Another incident, and you wonder where the candles come from in the blessing of the throats. Again, on his journey to prison, there was another woman appeared who begged him to please save one of her animals. And obviously people depend on their animals in an agrarian economy. She had a pig that was attacked by a wolf. The wolf was about to carry the animal away and have a nice dinner. Can you save the pig? And Bishop Blaze ordered the wolf drop him, you know, drop the animal, and he did. The wolf actually obeyed. So out of gratitude, the woman went back home, and she got these two very precious wax candles and gave them to him and said, hey, when you go to prison, you can use these candles to give yourself some light and 
may you reflect on the light of Christ. I don't know if she said that, but but at any rate, so are, are these apocryphal stories? We're not quite sure, but that's that's where that comes from. We do know that Blaise was martyred, uh, was martyred of course. Um, the emperor asked him to renounce his Christian faith. Didn't just ask him, he told him to do it. He said no, and he was martyred. He was actually ripped apart by metal combs, these gigantic metal combs that they used to comb the wool of sheep. So they basically tore him apart with that and then they beheaded him uh, for good measure. So he's the patron saint of wool combers. I don't know how many wool combers are out there, but uh, because of the method of his, of, his, of his martyrdom, of course. He's also, along with St. Francis, he's one of the patron saints of animals because of his authority over the wolf. And, of course, diseases of the throat and other illnesses that are uh, associated because of the, the, the account of him healing uh, the boy who is choking and dying. And so that's it. That's the origin of the blessing of the throats, the wax candles, and that is uh, St. Blaise. So I think it's really interesting. And it's, it, it's, it's amazing how God uses medicine and, and, because people, people do look for miraculous healings, but God also heals people through, through what we might call natural means. But these are pretty miraculous too, if we really stop and think about them for a little bit. I, I, just, I, I wanted to share this this week. I, I haven't really had opportunity, but maybe this is the, the best time. I'm just amazed at what we can do, what, what we have the power to do in this day and age. I, I, had, I was diagnosed with a hole in my retina. I have a hole in my retina. Well, I had a hole in my retina. And my, my optometrist said, I'm going to send you to a specialist because I, I just want to confirm that A, you do have this, and B, he's going to fix it for you same day. I'm like, what are you talking about? So I went to see this guy, the specialist. And he said, yes, you do have a hole in your retina. It's a little bit like wallpaper that's falling down. If this doesn't get fixed, you're going to have a detached retina. And so he says, come over here. He's got this machine in his office. I didn't even have to go into the hospital or anything. Through laser eye surgery, painless, I'm just sitting there. I had to put like some freezing drops on my eyes. But he actually healed through a laser the hole in my retina. And I'm just thinking, like, this is a miracle. This is a miracle that we can do this. I can walk in and in 20 minutes... The hole in my retina is healed. This is amazing. The technology. A- ancient people would have would have been flabbergasted that we live in an age in which we can do this. And so God works through these means as well as the extraordinary means, if you will, of supernatural miracles too. But they're all it's all miraculous in, in a way. And so Whew, well, that's the week. We're going to have another great week next week on The Kale Clark Show. I hope you'll join us. If you did miss an episode this week, you can always binge listen to the podcast on the weekend and also the Faith Explained program. And I hope you do on the relevant radio app. Great show coming up with Brooke Taylor sitting in for Timory. Stay tuned for that. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.